Welcome to the Gab Talks by the Independent Press Award. I'm your hostess, Gabby Olzak. Today, we will be chatting with Julie Skolnick, author of Paris Blue, a memoir of first love. Paris Blue was named a distinguished favorite in the 2022 Independent Press Award. Julie is an accomplished concert flutist and the founding artistic director of Mistral Music. A breast cancer survivor, Julie has organized numerous benefit concerts, including at the Hotel de Ville, Paris for the Ligue Contre de Cancer. Julie joins us from Boston, where she lives with her husband, Michael, and their two cats. Their two grown children are musicians as well. Julie recently released two CDs in collaboration with her daughter. Paris Blue is Julie's debut novel. Congratulations, Julie, and welcome to The Gab. Thank you, Gabby. It's nice to be here. Well, I love the book. Um, it was it was really a treat to read. Um, we have a lot in common. I, too, studied uh, in Paris during my undergrad years. I could tell by your accent. Thank nice you. And um, I connected with a lot, uh, including the um, older, accomplished boyfriend. I had <laughs> one of those, too, in Paris. Um, so, Julie, you said... Uh, I've heard you say this in an interview before that music, memory, poetry, and love are so interconnected. Share with us how this relates to Paris Blue and oh what the memoir is all about. Don't give away um, any, no spoilers here. Just give us a little synopsis. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It is, this is my hardest a challenge is to, is to shut up and not just keep talking. But, um, well, let's see. Um, I'm sorry, it's quite noisy here with the traffic out my apartment window, but I hope you can take care of that. Well, yeah. um, the premise of the book is that I'm 20 years old and I arrived in Paris to study music. So the book is very much full of musical references. And I joined a chorus and this is where I uh, met this Frenchman. It was a bit of love at first sight from across 200 voices in this chorus. And music is what brought us together, and it's what bonded us most profoundly. Um, therefore, uh, the book follows an arc of 30 years, from, from intense romance to heartbreak to the next couple of decades where I kept looking for answers to what had happened. And um, I think what the reader sees is that many of the pieces that we had loved together become very difficult to listen to. I, I loved a review that somebody wrote. Uh, I, a young musician wrote this on Goodreads or Amazon and said something like, I feel as if this book is a cautionary tale that implies be wary when love and music mix. And I thought that was just so brilliant, especially for such a young person, because the what the reader will, will understand um, after reading this book is that sometimes one can confuse an emotional response with, with, with an art form like music or art or even the outdoors. People have always said that it's very easy to confuse their innate feelings to music with something else. Now, I'm not saying that this was not an intense love at age 20, which it was, but what I am saying is that the music part of it uh, made it that much more difficult to move on because every time I heard music that we had um, loved together, 
it accessed all my former feelings and made it very difficult to distance myself. So that's um, just a little bit about the, the role that music plays in the book. I, I want to talk a little bit more about that because I did follow your advice. And as I was reading the memoir, I did listen to the suggested pieces that you have on your website. And um, it was very, very powerful. So how, how did your experience in Paris with Luke, that's the gentleman um, that you were involved with, change you as a musician? <laughs> Well, I'm not really sure it did, Gabby. Um, you know, I mean, it changed me as a person and maybe therefore as a musician. Um, no, I don't really know if I can answer that easily. It's a big, it's a big question. It is it, a big question. You know, it changed, you know, it was, I, I might just change the question a tiny bit to say that, um, if you don't mind, you know, why, why did you spend 45 years trying to tell this story? And I think that, um, I'm sorry, that's a slightly different question, but um, I think it's more pertinent right now just to try to explain why um, it was so important for me to keep trying to share this story with the world. And I think I'd love to just quote Maya Angelou, who said, and I just only discovered this recently, but when I did, I've, I've remembered it and, and use it off when people say, why were you so obsessed? Why did this story linger in the corridors of your mind for four decades until you finally saw it in print? And she said this wonderful line, which was that uh, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. And I just loved that because uh, people said to me, well, you know, you're not, you have a full career as a musician. Why do you care? This was a story I knew would resonate with people. And the best part about where I have finally gotten now was besides, you know, besides holding it in my hand and having an actual book uh, to, to show for it is that I get um, emails daily from readers who tell me uh, that they couldn't put it down. They read it in two sittings, but most importantly that it brought back their own personal stories of first love. And it's not just a book for women. I have men writing to me, telling me that they could not stop sobbing uncontrollably at the end. I can believe that. I can believe that. So love, love at first sight is powerful. I definitely believe in that. Um, you, you quoted in the book, you said it was an impossible love to avoid. You said the music, Luke's poetry, Paris. So th this is a tough question. Were you more in love, do you think now looking back, uh, with the idea of being in love in Paris, the power no. of the music, or do you believe it was really love? No, it wasn't the idea. It wasn't the idea, but but I loved, there was another quote that this beautiful writer said, and it says that it's, she said that the book captures the power of Paris poetry and music to, to drive love to madness. So in other words, I definitely was madly in love with him. But it didn't hurt that we were in the most beautiful romantic city of the world and that this man had a certain power um, with words. His, he was, you know, he was very, very gifted at getting under my skin with the letters that he wrote to me. Then combining that with the music that we shared together and singing Brahms' Requiem together and, you know, um, and then having this intense letter writing correspondence for a year afterwards, all of that contributed to the intense feelings. 
I want to talk about those letters, Julie. So you included Luke's letters at the beginning of the chapters. Um, Tell us about that. Well, first, why did you do that? Um, Did you save the letters? Did you have to translate them from French? A a lot of questions related to this. Yes, sure. No, I'm happy you asked. Well, once I figured out, number one, yes, I had saved the letters. Uh, Two, I did translate them all from French into English. I used certain parts, you know, once I had translated them into English, I felt as if they were my my property um, and unrecognizable to the owner, the author of the letters. But um, I once I realized that each letter might be a way to foreshadow what was about to happen in each chapter, then I had my book. At the beginning, as I mentioned before, this took me several decades, four decades to bring to fruition. At the beginning, I had written a quick first draft and I had just dumped all the letters at the back. I didn't know what to do with them. And then I had this light bulb moment where I said, oh my God, there will be this discrepancy of time and place where I can include the letter that says, I can't believe a year ago you were coming to Paris and looking for a chorus to join. I wish we could go back in time. And then the chapter that follows, I've just arrived in Paris and I'm looking for the chorus to join. I believe that by using this structure and this format, I believe this is why people told me it was a page turner because each time you saw that they were in this relationship but I hadn't met him yet when the chapter begins, the reader is thinking, oh my God, when are they gonna meet? I can't wait to see what happens. So that's when my book gelled and came together. Well, you well, you really have done a um, an incredible job of conveying the very um, strong emotions, the beauty of Paris, uh, the power of first love. Tell us, tell us about the process because, again, as you said, it began as your days as a young student, and it takes us all the way through to you as a happily married wim- woman with children. Um, yes. How did you remember all of this? Tell us no, about the process. It, it, it's a great question. Everybody says. You have the most incredible memory. I didn't just write that. I, when this relationship was over, I was 22 years old. I was 20 when I met him, 22 when I moved to Boston and was heartbroken. That's when I sat down for three months on a different bench by the Charles River or in the Boston Public Garden. And I wrote down every memory and every conversation that I could remember. Now it's still, even though it was, 40 something years ago, it's still kind of shocking that even 18 months later, after I'd had all those conversations and and lived through this Paris experience, it was still kind of shocking that I could remember as much as I did. It was almost as if it had been indelibly imprinted on my brain or memory and that I was just unearthing the memories. I dumped them all into what I called my first manuscript And then I put it all away for about 10 years. And every five or 10 years, I would take this out and work on it and shuffle it around and add more because I was getting older now. I was living my life, but I still didn't have a book. And every 10 years, so about 20 years passed and I thought I had a book and I had had an entirely different name. It was called 
Lilies That Fester. And that was from Shakespeare's sonnet number 94. And that sonnet was gonna be on the inside cover of the book. And I thought it just described this person perfectly. It started with, they that have power to hurt others, but, or something like that. Moving others are themselves as stone. And I went, yes, yes, that's my book, Lily Set Fester. But I did nothing with it. Another 10, 15 years would go by. And then I think at that point, I called it something different. I called it a certain shade of blue. Now that is something I don't wanna give away because that is a moment in the book as is Paris blue, which I get to later, um, in which people go, oh my God, I understand the title, but I won't tell you it's not exactly what people think. Of course, there is this aspect that blue connotes sadness and isolation and depression and a certain mood. There is that part of it, but there's something else entirely. And then I read a book on what a memoir is. And I'd like to just... Well, that was my next question. Yes. That, that, there's a big difference, isn't there? So what, yes. what advice can you offer? So, so the, reason the, book, the reason the book wasn't any good 20 years ago is that I had put too much in it. I was so excited to be writing about the story that I also put in too many other things and it was not focused enough. And then I read a book on memoir, which said that a memoir, and I'd like to tell everyone that this is Marion Roach, who wrote this book called The Memoir Project. And she changed my life in terms of this book. A memoir is a universal truth as illustrated by a personal story. And I had found my truth. Once I figured out that my universal truth was that first love when very intense and very romantic and suddenly stops can take you a lifetime to get over. And I had a personal story to illustrate that. Then I had my book. And then I changed the title to Paris Blue, um, which was better and more concise. And I was told that books with the word Paris in it do well. <laughs> and then, um, and I cut a hundred pages restructured it, put those letters before every chapter and found uh, found a publisher. So that was my long journey to get here today, which is why I'm so thrilled um, that I'm finally sharing the story with the world. Well, that that's excellent advice, Julie. Thank you. So obviously writing a memoir is deeply personal. Um, what was the most difficult part for you to write? That is such a good question. Well, you know, it, it just be, because it's such a good question, I wanted to say that at one point, I didn't even mention this, when you asked about my journey, how I got here today, one thing I did about 20 years or so ago is that I changed it into a novel. And I did that in order to make it easier to write about some of these personal things, in part to protect myself, but also to protect my family and notably uh, my husband because you know and we'll get to that we'll get to that in a second how does your husband let you do this because I definitely want to get to that always get to that but when I wrote it as a novel and I sent it out so I had sent it out to somebody um I had very big beginner's luck with somebody at Random House believe it or not 40 years ago and she loved the book but she said she couldn't get all her colleagues on board and guess what the book was not good enough then but she told me to send it to somebody else. 
who loved all things French. And that woman said, I love the book, but make it a novel. I think I can sell it. I made it a novel. She didn't like it anymore. And then I got so discouraged, I put it away for another 10 years or so. And then another reader, writer said, you know, Julie, this has to be a memoir because it's the only honest version it can be because the novel version really wasn't a novel it was just a memoir thinly disguised by changing names I did change most names anyway except for the, my husband and my children but um it was just too phony to pretend it was a novel so once I got back the memoir version I felt more at home more authentic and and that's 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 what I knew I needed to do now to get back to my husband part. Um, everyone, they always kind of whisper it in a way that as if that's going to, you know, my, my first book launch, which was a virtual event with Brookline Booksmith, somebody finally asked and they say it in, in almost a whispered voice as if he doesn't know that I've written this book. This book has been a member of my marriage for 30 something years. Well, well let's get back to this beginning of, of Michael though. You share um, in your book, how you yeah. met your husband, Michael. And that was incredibly romantic. Of um, course it was. Yeah. That, that's the real love story. That's the, the real love story. Yes, yes. But the funny part and the, to illustrate what a good natured, amazing man he is, is that um, he loved to tell people when the book comes up, you know, I'm seeing friends I haven't seen for a long time. And they, congratulations, you know, your book published because everybody knew about my book. And then Michael would say, I got three pages. I got three pages. And it's <laughs> but then people always say, people who read it say, yes, but what three pages? And everybody admits that those three pages were beautifully concise and a perfect illustration about what a real love story is. But the 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 beauty in all of this, the reason the book is not about my happy marriage with my husband and moving into a middle age with my wonderful children and my career in music. It's about this one story. And that's why it was, you know, the one story, the, the beauty of showing that Michael was not a man who wrote me those letters or really a man with whom I shared music in the same way. That's what the phenomenon is. And that's what I wanted to show my readers, you know. Well, that makes sense. So now this is another difficult question. Speaking of, of who the story was actually about, I know your readers will want to know this. Did you send Luke a copy of Paris Blue and have you heard from him? I did not send him a copy. Really? No, but I knew he was aware of the book. And the reason I know that is because I know he did some social media. And even though we were not connected in that way, I'm one of these people who has an open Facebook page and the book was all over it. And it was also all over my music series, my, my magnificent obsession before the book came along. Before the book came along, my magnificent obsession was running this chamber music series. And all over that website um, is all about, please buy my book. I wrote this book, please buy my book. So um, I knew he knew about it. And yet I blocked him from all my other social media stuff because at one point, um, because he's a lawyer, I was a bit afraid that he might do a cease and desist and try to sue me for using his letters. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. And, and um, tell you the truth, I can't believe I'm even talking about it 
in public like this because <laughs> some people said, keep your mouth shut. It, when the, the thing is, what I, I do say to people is that I change the letters enough to call them my own. And, and that's my story and I'm sticking with it. So good um, for you. Good for you. What, what do you think he, what do you think he thinks of the book? He will, this is what I think. I, we did finally have a conversation about it. Oh, you did? I did. I, I wrote to him and I said, look, by now you probably know about the book and you probably hate me for it. And um, I'm sorry, but this is my story. And I had to tell it. I spent 45 years needing to tell it. And I finally did it. And I hope you will understand that I meant no harm to anyone and um, hope it was not an invasion of privacy. And I changed all of your names. And it, of course it's not his real name and that kind of thing. And he did write a very civil note back saying, um, of course I don't hate you and I may read it. And I said, you know, I don't even know whether I am telling you to read it. I'm not even sure I want you to read it. It will definitely be difficult to read, but it will also be very, um, not just enlightening, but you out of all people in the entire world will appreciate the details that are in the book about the first 160 pages. I said, if you want to read the first 160 pages and then stop reading. But truthfully, I don't believe he will ever do it because it takes a huge amount of courage and um, as some readers know, uh, he doesn't come across sounding that, that nice by, um, by page 161. <laughs> so which one line, um, in your opinion, as the author encompasses Paris Blue? Oh, thank you for asking that. I, I got my book already in case you asked. Oh, good. It. Yes. Well, this, this, um, this happens when, here I am already married, I have two beautiful children. I have a good career, I'm juggling different parts of my life and I'm playing a concert in Boston when uh, Luke has called and said he's in Boston and can I meet him after my concert? And I make a big effort to do it. And as I'm driving around lost in the North End, you know, a snowstorm had been predicted, the snowflakes are starting to fall. I'm shaking my head and saying under my breath, what am I doing? You know, and I'm thinking about my happy life and how did he get me to put myself in this position again when I, if I hurried home, I could kiss my kids goodnight before they go to sleep and blah, blah, blah. So um, this is the line. I'm just going to read one paragraph first so that readers will get this. There were evenings when I stood in my kitchen with flour caked hands trying to perfect my tart tatin, a fire burning in the living room the scent of fall leaves outside. My kids would be playing a piece together in the adjacent music room and asking me to join them. Mom, come play hide and trio with us, they'd say, and my heart would soar. So why was I here? When you, and here's the line. When you fall in love at 20, I wondered, does the heart form around the person like an old tree slowly absorbs a sign hung on it when it was a sapling? And then when it's gone, do you forever feel the lack of it, feel its imprint where it once rested? And I like that analogy because it's something you just can't explain. And I think that when you're so young and you have this experience, it's something you never really get over. So yeah, that, that was beautiful. So what, what do you want readers to take away from Paris Blue? 
Um, thank you for asking that too. Well, I, I guess that this idea that, um, that number one, first love, of course, is different from love at first sight, that number one, love at first sight definitely exists. It existed for me. And that first love is something that rather than, oh, here, here is what I think my conclusion was towards the last bit of the book is that, you know, people always think that when you have a trauma in your life, which this certainly was for me, um, that you should delete it, cancel it, forget it, never write about it, just think about the present. And on the contrary, I believe that you can still appreciate those memories. They are who we are. They are who created the person that we are today and that you can still um, enjoy them. They filter, you know, they shine like light through the prism of our current days. I still enjoy remembering those memories and the person that I was at 20. I don't let the, you know, the pain and the heartache that came afterwards um, delete those memories. So I think that's that's one of the, the things I hope people understand by the end. And then the other is something that you mentioned already that that love and music are so interconnected and indistinguishable that that you know but when you hear a piece of music you cannot prevent yourself from remembering the time and place when you first fell in love with it those ideas are really why i love running my music series when i program a set of pieces i like to explain to my audience why they're listening to this music and how I first heard them, how I first fell in love with them. I think we all have similar experiences like that. I always bring up the fact that for Proust, it was the Madeleine that he dunked in tea and brought back all his childhood memories. For me, it's a piece of music that I will hear and it will bring me right back to being 13 years old and in the, the lodge of the music camp where I first heard it. Yes, so, I, I agree. Music is um, a very powerful medium to the memory and to the psyche. Um, you're, in addition to being a gifted musician, you're obviously also a gifted writer. Uh, any plans yeah. for another book? Oh, it's so funny you should mention that now because I had always said, um, gee, I don't think so. I think this is my one and only, but then I just had a dream about this. It's so funny. I didn't know until this very moment. And I believe that in the dream, I had figured out another book that I wanted to write. So, oh boy. <laughs> well, keep us posted on that one. Yeah, you're so sweet. Um, and if, if it's all right with you, I just would love anyone listening to know that there are lots of other written interviews and all the pieces, like Gabby mentioned, all the pieces that I mentioned in the book are all on my author site, which is just my name, julieskolnick.com. You can click right on the piece and it'll bring you to a YouTube performance of it. And people who have done that, and Gabby, I'm so happy that you did do that. Because um, a lot of people don't even know that that's what those little footnotes are. It was wonderful. Oh, thank you. So I hope people will take a moment to listen because I do think it enhances the, the experience. Yes. And in addition to your website, Julie, where else can our listeners purchase Paris Blue? Well, any any independent bookstore can order it for you. Um, hardly any of them are carrying it, but that's that is life. Um, but of course, and I hate to say the, I hate to say, it, but Amazon, of course, um, <laughs> the big 
Evil Empire. The reason it's so helpful for readers to buy through Amazon is that when uh, it helps the numbers and it helps the book appear in searches so that if you're reading a book on something else in Paris, then my book will pop up. If you like this book, you might like this book. And so I do tell my friends to try to buy it from Amazon. A lot of people are vehemently against, so I understand that, but Anyway. Well, Julie, we look forward to um, listening uh, to your music and also to reading, hopefully, uh, more of your books in addition to Paris Blue. Thank you so much for joining us today. Next podcast, we will be hearing from Gary Turchin, author of Through a Broken Window. Until then, keep reading. This is Gabby Olzak of the Gabby.